Happy New Year. Uh, this is our first Sunday of the New Year, so I hope year's off to a good start. I hope you had a good New Year and holiday, maybe some vacation time. Uh, our family got to travel uh, about 2,500 miles over between Christmas and New Year. Got to go to Ohio and back and have just a great time with seeing our families. So it's good to be home. Uh, like we almost literally did not see the sunshine for like a week and a half. And so just once again reminding us that Ohio is a dumb place to live. So I just, uh, for whatever that's, I hope my Ohio family not listening this morning. But uh, all the smart ones have gotten out of there by now. Um, total, total joke. But we really, we didn't see the sun until about 30 miles from the Kansas border coming back on Wednesday on I-70. And it was like this amazing welcome home to see blue sky and be back in the land of sunshine, even though that's not the case today. So I hope you had a good, a good holiday. And I'm excited for where we're headed as a church as we begin 2019. We are starting a new series called The Quest. And we are diving into the questions of Jesus uh, the sermon title this morning is called Learning to Ask. Learning to Ask. Well, over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is, is look at the way Jesus asked questions and the way his questions challenged people and formed people and, and brought people into new experiences in their life with God. And so in order to do that, I want to start by asking you a couple of questions. And you can just think about them. You don't have to like respond audibly or anything, but you can just think about it. What is the most significant question that you have ever asked someone else? What's the most important question you've ever asked somebody? Just think about that for a little bit. What's the most important question anybody has ever asked you that you've had to respond to? Have you ever been asked a question that just wouldn't let you go? Like somebody asked this question and it was just this nagging uh, in your mind, and it forced you to look at it and to deal with it. Have you ever been asked a question that opened your eyes to something, to be able to see it in a brand new way, something that, that changed the course of your life, that changed how you saw the world? Uh, so I'm guessing that if we could go back and look at significant moments in our life, moments that changed the course of our lives, there would be significant questions that we either asked ourselves or someone else asked us that, that changed the direction and changed who we have become, how we've got to this place in our life. Here are some of the significant questions we ask throughout life. Uh, maybe somebody has asked you at some point, would you trust me? And the way you responded to that, either good or bad, was really significant. Will you trust me? Um, what do I want to do? Some of us are asking that question of ourselves, like, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Would you like to go out for dinner sometime? How about that question, right? Would you like to go for dinner sometime? Uh, would you like to dance? No? Okay, me neither. Yep. <laughs> totally cool. Hypothetical. Would you like to come work with us? Should we move? Should we buy that house? Will you commit your life to Christ? I mean, these are big questions. As I think about it, the most significant question I have asked is these four incredibly powerful words, will you marry me? Right? I mean, that, think about the weight of that question, will you marry me? Uh, now, in all fairness, like me asking that question, by the way, we've been married uh, 15 years, celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Oh, thank you. Um, so... 
we, uh, it was like 15 and a half years ago or so, I, I asked this question to Carmen, will you marry me? And in, in full disclosure, the, I asked this question as a response to a question that she had been asking me again and again and again and again and again. There it is. <laughs> you, can, you can say this kind of stuff after 15 years, right? Oh, man. I, I think back about that experience like I was so nervous. And that, that, whole, that whole experience of asking somebody to marry you I mean, is a scary experience. Uh, because it doesn't start with this question. It actually start for me, like taking Carmen's parents out for breakfast and saying, can I marry your daughter? That's a question. Um, I anticipate that question coming to me as I have two daughters at, at some point in my life, which is why I've been a fan of, of arm wrestling and, and things that... <laughs> strike fear into the hearts of young men. So I, I take Carmen's parents out for breakfast and ask a question. And as a 21-year-old guy who has no clue what he's doing with his life, full of insecurities, they graciously said, yes, yeah, we would love to have you as a son-in-law. And so then, you know, kind of try to orchestrate this whole thing with Carmen of how I'm going to ask her. And so uh, I asked my parents if they can, if they can leave uh, their house because they had this really nice back uh, deck area out the back of their house that overlooked, you know, it was a beautiful springtime um, in Ohio. And, and so have, they, they leave and, and kind of set all this up on their, their patio out back and I cook dinner for Carmen, which isn't all that romantic because you've never tasted my food. Um, and then I have the guitar, and we start singing some songs, which, again, is not all that romantic because you've never heard me play or sing. But we sing these songs, and then we sing uh, a song that had kind of become like our song. And so we sing the song together, and I say, hey, for this, this is clever, right? Uh, so the guitar case is sitting behind her. I say, hey, would you reach in the guitar case and get my capo for the next song? And so she reaches and she, you know, lifts up the little flap on the, the container inside the guitar case and here is a ring box, not a capo. And so she, you know, the, the very slowly kinds of turns around, right, and, and looks at me. And now, guys, what are you supposed to do in this moment when you ask this question? Everybody knows this, what the etiquette is, right? You're supposed to get down on one knee and ask the question. I was so nervous. I, in all seriousness, I got down on both knees... <laughs> And I asked her. It was this, this complete, foolish, uh, begging, just pleading, will you please marry me? So, whew, I'm, glad, I'm glad that's over. So, that question, will you marry me, and the answer that has followed has transformed my life in more ways than I will ever be able to appreciate. These questions, questions are a big, big deal. They're powerful. And embedded right in the word question is the word quest. That a, a, a question actually sends us on a quest, a new journey. It, it sends us in a different direction, a journey of discovery, where we, we want to find out more, we want to know more. Uh, there's a famous Greek philosopher, you've probably heard of, his name was Socrates, lived centuries before Jesus. And Socrates was known for this way of teaching that was just asking a series of questions, just asking the next question, helping people to discover their own answers and find their own way. And so Socrates said that, uh, in fact, this style of teaching is called the Socratic method of teaching. Maybe you've heard of that. 
But Socrates said a, a question can function in two ways. One of them is like a horsefly. Uh, or he called it a gadfly, a horsefly, and the other is like a midwife. This is what questions do. On one hand, a question is like a horsefly that stings us, that like it irritates us, it, it, you know, it uh, disturbs us, and we have to do something. We, it forces us to move in a direction we otherwise wouldn't move. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question like that? They kind of like, it hurt a little bit. But it forced you to move. You were comfortable and it made you uncomfortable. It provoked you. Sometimes questions do that. They provoke us out of our comfort. And he said, but other times uh, questions are like a midwife that birth new things, that bring new life into the world, that help people see new possibilities and a new future. Now, the problem with Socrates is that he asked so many questions, people got pretty angry at him. In fact, people don't like to be disturbed. They don't like people questioning their easy answers. And so Socrates was actually sentenced to death. And his conviction was that he was poisoning the minds of Athens' youth, uh, one of whom was Plato, one of his students. And he, um, he was sentenced to death by poisoning, by drinking hemlock. And so there is a risk in asking questions, in asking hard questions, and this is a risk that Jesus also dealt with, didn't he? Because Jesus' life was, was marked by powerful questions that disturbed people, but that for those who wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, it, it unlocked a new future for them. Uh, human beings are driven by questions. Questions have, have always pushed human beings from the beginning of time past countless frontiers. I mean, think about the question of, What's over the horizon? Like, what's, what's out there? And how that has changed human history? What's on the other side of the mountain? What's on the other side of the sea? What's on the other side of the universe? Like, we keep asking these questions, and it keeps pushing us. I don't know how many of you saw the news of this, uh, this space probe called New Horizons that on New Year's Day took pictures of this hunk of ice that's a billion miles a billion miles past the planet formerly known as Pluto, which was a planet when I was a kid, but it's not a planet anymore, right? A billion miles outside of our solar system. And on New Year's Day, it takes these images and uh, sends them back of this, this new sort of formation that we're just seeing for the first time up close like this called Ultima Thule. Did you guys hear about this? Anybody track with this stuff? So it's crazy. So this is what Ultima Thule looks like. Now, what in the world? This, this uh, New Horizons was launched 13 years ago, 13 years ago, January of 2006, and, and sent off on this, this journey into the unknown. Why do we do things like this? It's because there's this curiosity. This is what's out there? Like, what is beyond our known experience? Questions move us. Now, some people have been having fun with Ultima Thule in its shape. Does it remind you of anything? Does it look like it? It looks like a snowman. Like, which maybe, like, brings up why we have been hearing this, uh, you know, this uh, existential question, do you want to build a snowman? Maybe there's something more, <laughs> maybe there's something more to that. So questions. Questions launch us on a quest, a journey of discovery, but not just to frontiers of space, but to frontiers of life with God. Questions are incredibly powerful motivators for spiritual growth. Um, if you're in Exodus chapter 12, take a look at verses 26 and 27. Exodus 12, 26 and 27. So a little bit of context. God has been bringing judgment 
on the Egyptians for their mistreatment and for them enslaving the Hebrew people. And so God is ready to liberate his people out of Egypt, out of Egyptian oppression. And he's going to do it through this event called the Passover. And so God is giving his people instructions for for how they are to conduct themselves through this Passover, the, the liberation, the salvation of his people from slavery. And he says, like, you're going to do this on this one night, but for years to come, every year, I want you to celebrate the Passover. I want you to remember it. And I want you to remember it with this highly symbolic meal. And we've celebrated Passover as a church before, like around, uh, around Easter time, of, of just, you know, the, this meal that everything, it has a representation of something that the p- children of Israel had experienced. And so he gives them instructions here in Exodus 12. And then in verse 26, listen to this. When your children, so this is years in the future, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Well, then tell them it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. So do you, do you hear what God is doing with his people? He's saying part of the way you pass on faith to the next generation is you cultivate curiosity in them. Like when your children ask you questions, then you tell them the story. Um, so part of, part of discipleship, part of learning, part of teaching our kids, or not just like actual children, but sometimes spiritual children, just people who are new to faith, is by helping cultivate curiosity in them. By, by, by doing peculiar things that they ask, why do we do this? Like, why is this thing so important? And when they ask us, we tell them the story. Uh, another example of this, of God building these things into the, the rhythms of his people, Deuteronomy 6. So you can turn over uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy 6 is uh, this, this famous passage known as the, the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, uh, there's this short little sentence called the Shema. And the word Shema in Hebrew just means to hear. And it comes from this passage, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, that says this. In Hebrew, it's this. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And in, in English, it's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the text goes on and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so this passage, the Shema, God had given instructions to his people to, to, to pray this prayer daily, regularly. The most Jewish people, they will wake up in the morning and the first words on their lips are, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the last thing they say <clears throat> at the end of the day is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, for good observant Jews, uh, it's the last word they want to say before, you know, with their last breath. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like this marks their life, this, this statement of who God is. And so God is giving these instructions <clears throat> to the people to like make this a rhythm of your life. To, to make these affirmations a part of your family, to pass them on to your children. But then, listen to this, verse, uh, verse 20, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 and 21. In the future, when your son asks you, again, do you hear that questioning? When your son, when your child asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? 
Then tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Uh, And so again, we see God saying, like, cultivate curiosity in your kids. What do you do when people who don't know the answers, or when your children, when your grandchildren, or just somebody who's new to faith, when they ask you the questions, hey, why do you do this? You know what answer God tells us not to give? Because I said so. Like, that's the answer. Like, sometimes it's just, well, that, we, we just do this. Don't ask questions. Like, some faith communities, what we do is we try to shut down questions and shut down curiosity because we perceive it as a threat. But that's not what God does. God is very open with questions, cultivated in people. Uh, we're, God doesn't recommend giving the answer, well, this is just what we do. Don't ask why. This is just what we do. Tis not ours to ask why. Right? Just do and die. It's not, it's not God's method. God says, like, cultivate curiosity. Um, it reminds, like, the reason God says when, when our children ask us, when they ask us about the things that we do, the practices that, that shape our life, it, we give the answer that it's to remind ourselves of who God is and, and what God has done for us, that he has set us free from our slavery, our slavery to sin, and he's brought us into a life of freedom. And so we worship him because he is good. One Jewish uh, theologian says this, it is the duty of every parent, or you could say spiritual parent, every, the duty of every parent to encourage his or her children to ask questions, and the child who does not yet know how to ask must be taught to ask. Do you know who the most curious group of people on the planet is? Any guess what age the most curious group of people are? You shout out a number, like what age? 15? 50? A little younger? Single digits? Three, four. Any idea what gender? Four-year-old girls are statistically the most curious people on the planet. Um, So, a four-year-old girl, any four-year-old girls in the room? Shout out, right? All right, we got one. Four-year-old girls. Jesse, why did you raise your hand? Oh, oh, I got you. They ask an average, parents, you'll love this, right? Or or preschool teachers. They ask an average of 390 questions per day. That's a question every two and a half minutes. The parents who are at home with the kids are asked more questions than teachers or doctors throughout the day. That's a big deal. And it can be exhausting. What what is the most often asked question for these four-year-old girls? Why? Right? And you just get sick of it. Don't, Don't ask me why. But this is such a powerful question. And in fact, like one of the habits you can do is turn the tables and start asking them why. Like you can cultivate curiosity to say, hey, you know what? We pray when we sit down as a family to eat supper. We say a prayer. Why do we pray? And you ask your kids, why do we pray before we eat? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Because you want to make us wait. Oh. <laughs> Other reasons why we would do this? I guess it's to be thankful. Well, then you ask, why is it important to be thankful? Like, what difference would that make? Well, I, I guess it's important to, I don't know, be thankful for everything that's been given to us. So how, how does it change us when we realize that everything is a gift, even the food we eat or the money we use to buy the food or the health we use to, buy, to have the job? Like, how does it change us when we realize that everything is a gift? Well, I guess it I guess it changes the way we hold things. You know, if we realize it's a gift, then we maybe not, we won't hold it so tightly. Or maybe we'll be a little bit more freely to 
give it away to other people to share it. And so you can actually turn the tables and you can cultivate curiosity. You can ask, why do we do this? Why do we do this? When you, when you give an answer, um, <clears throat> if you look at brain scans of, of people who are being given answers and just taking down data, you know, the brain lights up in certain areas, but a very small part of the brain. If you ask a question, a good question that forces thought, like the brain lights up in much more significant ways. This is a powerful practice for discipleship. Naming the why, naming the deeper value behind things. It's not just why we do things. There is a purpose behind it. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, for him, questions were central to the way he interacted with people. In fact, the very first words of Jesus are questions. In Luke chapter 2, it's a story Howard talked about a little bit last week. Luke chapter 2, um, you get after the birth narratives. Uh, Jesus is now a 12-year-old boy. And his whole family goes up to, from Nazareth, they, this whole community of Nazareth travels together up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And they do this every year, the text says. And so here they go, they're with their neighbors and aunts and uncles and friends and, you know, cousins, and they go up and they're singing the songs, going up to Jerusalem to worship, and they're there for a week worshiping. And now the time has come for them to go back to Nazareth. So the whole caravan, you know, breaks camp and they're heading back to Nazareth. And it's like a day into the journey and they realize Jesus isn't here. And now like Mary and Joseph, they sometimes get a bad rap. Like, why weren't you taking care of the Messiah? Like, this should have been a high priority, right, of taking care of Jesus. But you imagine like your aunts and uncles are there, maybe your parents, grandparents, cousins. It's like, well, I'm sure Jesus is just with, he's with the neighbors. He's fine. Well, at some point, they discover he's not here. So they turn around, they go back to Jerusalem, they search for three days. Have you ever lost your kid for like a couple minutes in the grocery store? I mean, this is in a city. For three days, they're searching for him. And so you can feel like Mary's just sort of like exasperation when she finds him. But where do they find him? Verse uh, 46, Luke 2, 46 says this, After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, among the rabbis, listening to them and doing what? Asking questions. The first scene of Jesus, like when he we actually can make some decisions as a 12-year-old, is he's asking questions. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And what, you know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, like, I, I just wanted to stay. I guess I don't. He didn't stammer around for some half-baked answer. Here's what Jesus answers. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He responds by asking questions. The first words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels are questions. Jesus on the cross, one of the last things he says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like one of the last things Jesus says is he, he enters into this place that, that we've probably all felt at different points in our life where we just feel God forsaken. That feels like our reality. God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what Jesus does. His life is bookended by these powerful questions. And so if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to learn from Jesus, and this is one of our habits as a church, one of our discipleship habits is to learn Jesus. In fact, um, these five habits that we talk about with some regularity is based off the word bells. It's we want to be people who bless others. Like you're just extravagant blessers of other people who eat, uh, who know how to like 
how to party, how to eat with people, how to share a table experience and invite people into our lives around the table who learn Jesus. We'll come back to that one. Who listen to the Spirit, who make space to listen to God speak and get direction. And we want to be people who are sent into the world. But as disciples of Jesus, like one of the primary practices is to learn Jesus, like to apprentice him, to say, Jesus, if, if this is how you lived, this is how I want to live. And one of the ways Jesus lived was by asking questions. Um, J.R. Briggs, who uh, is a friend of Jim Oslin, who's our campus pastor at McPherson, he recently spoke at the Apprentice Gathering in uh, Friends University. And he's been doing quite a bit of work on this, just exploring the questions of Jesus. And here, here's just some data that he uh, discovered, is that in the New Testament, there are 980 questions. Uh, there might be more because Hebrew doesn't have punctuation, you can't be sure, but 15% of all the sentences in the New Testament are questions. Jesus himself asked 307 of them. He was asked 180 questions, and he answered only five of them directly. How about that? Like, Jesus was frustrating, right? You ask him a question, and he, he responds with another question back to you that makes you rethink the, the, the place you're coming from. And there were times where he didn't answer at all, where he's standing before Pilate. Pilate is drilling him with questions, and Jesus is, is silent. So um, as we begin 2019, what would it look like if we just spent time learning the questions of Jesus and allowing him to ask us the questions that he asked others in his day? And and just uh, allow these questions to to change us, maybe to disturb us in places we're comfortable, maybe to bring us into new life. So here are just some of the questions that, that Jesus asked. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why do you call me good? Why are you so afraid? What do you want me to do for you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? How many loaves do you have? If you love only those who love you, what credit is that to you? Do you want to get well? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. What do you want? Why, or who do you say that I am? Do you love me? And, and my personal favorite, do you have anything to eat? <laughs> I, lo- I love that Jesus asked that question. This is after the resurrection. He looks and says, you got anything to eat? Uh, I think that's fantastic. The humanity. Uh, I mean, these questions, right? There's weight to these questions that Jesus asks. And so what if your questions and not your answers were the greatest source of your own growth as a disciple of Jesus in this coming year? Like, what what if this is what Jesus wants to do inside of you, inside of us as a people, is teach us how to ask better questions? How might God shape us if we did that? And, And I admit this is a growth area for me. Uh, I have friends who, who won't let me get away with simple answers, and I love it. I, I don't always love it in the moment, but I love it on a deeper level. You know, friends who, they say, how are you? And you say, oh, I'm fine. And they just stop. They say, really? Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not fine at all. I'm not, I'm not okay. Do you have friends like that who, who will just kind of press past that, like, pretty simple veneer you put up? I hope you do. 
And I hope more and more we can become those kind of people for each other who just, who ask good questions and who stop and who listen and who look us in the eye. Like this is, this is something I want to grow in. Introverted people, those of you who, who are maybe on the scales toward introversion, you are better at extroverted people, better than extroverted people at asking good questions. Extroverted people, like, this is a, this is a fault we have, the fault I have is that I like to hear myself talk. So it's pretty easy to just, like, give answers. And so this is a growth edge for us as a church, maybe, to say, like, how do we learn to ask better questions? So here are a couple of questions that you can start asking this week. Questions of God and questions of others. What next, Lord? This was just a question you lived with throughout the day. Just to remind you that God is with you, he's present with you, he's leading you, directing you, and you just live with this question, hey, what, what next, Lord? Maybe you have a relationship with somebody that you are, you're, you're walking with and you're trying to show them the love of Jesus, but you don't quite know, there's no path, there's no like, manual for how to do that, for what to say, when to say it, but you just lived with the question, hey, what next, Lord? Like, what's the next right thing to do? What's the next step? Um, how can I be faithful to you today? What, what is the next right thing for me to do? God, how can I be faithful to you today? God, is there anything you want to tell me to just take time to listen to the Spirit, trusting that God wants to speak to us? God, is there anything you want to say to me? And if we feel God saying something to us, something significant, should I test this with someone? Or with whom could I test this? So these are questions you can start asking today, questions that will change the trajectory of our lives. And and then learning, like Jesus, to ask good questions of other people. A question like this, where is God at work in your life? Like, how do you see God at work in your life? Maybe even in the middle of really hard things, like, do do you sense God is with you? Where is God? Is there any way that God is inviting you to take a risk? Right? In, in this new year, as you think about, like, your life and maybe you're comfortable and, and and God may very well be wanting to push you past this area of comfort into new horizons. Is there any way God is inviting you to take a risk? What would you do for the kingdom of God if you knew you wouldn't fail? What would you do if fear was not a part of your life? If there was no fear holding you back, what would you do for the kingdom of God if you knew you wouldn't fail? These are powerful questions. What if we all learn to ask better questions? Questions that disturbed us when we're comfortable and brought new life. What if God wants to lead us to new horizons of faith and faithfulness? Would you be open to that? God, we ask that you, the master of knowing people, God, that you know exactly how we're made, you know what makes us tick, you know what motivates us, God, you know the deepest longings of our heart. And and Jesus, we trust that you want to lead us into new places. God, that that this year, you don't want it to be a repeat of last year. God, but we trust that with you, tomorrow can be different than today. And so, Jesus, uh, we ask that you would teach us through your questions. as As we learn from them, as we explore them, that you would provoke us in places we're comfortable. And God, that you would bring about new life. That you'd change the course of our life if we need it. And you would, you would give us new imagination, new dreams, God, about what our life could be. God, we, we ask that we could learn the discipline from you, Jesus. That we would sit at your feet. 
you would be our teacher and we would learn together how to ask the most important questions of life. God, teach us to wrestle. There's something inside of us that's built on easy answers that just wants to Google it and find the simple answers. And we want to resist that. We want you to teach us how to resist that and to just wrestle with these things. God, lead us, teach us. We trust you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.